Welcome to Rough Drafts, How God Writes His Love in Our Stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell, and in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They are just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. You know you have reached a certain level of celebrity when you can be introduced with just one or two words, you know, um, when you are, are, are Sonny or, or Cher or Bono. Today, we have somebody who is in that class of people. He is Big Al. That's what everybody knows him in. Al Griffin, thanks for being with us today. Oh, it's a marvelous thing to do. Man, this is fun. Yeah, anytime you talk about the Lord, I'm in. Yeah? Yeah. Well, you know, I just, I love your perspective. And one of the first things that I truly loved about you was the first Sunday I heard you give a communion talk. And you got to the giving part, and you said, now here's my favorite part of church. And you were talking about the contribution. And I started laughing because I thought you were being sarcastic and making a joke. (laughs) And then I realized, no, he's 100% the real deal. And it made me like giving in church because of what you said that day. It's a chance to give back. Yeah, it's Yeah, there it is. You know, the Lord even said, you know, I don't want it if you ain't thought about giving it to me. So so think about it. Yeah. You know, it's a, people like, I love this time of year. Yeah, because people give stuff. You know, you can give stuff people that you can't give to the rest of the year. That's right. And and it's because they think about our Savior. You know, it's on their mind. Everybody always hug, humbug Christmas and say, you know, I don't know about Christmas. It ain't uh, it ain't a it ain't a uh, religious holiday. I said, hmm. uh-uh. anytime you can get people thinking about the Lord, it's a holiday. Yeah, that's right. And I defy you to find one day in the year that's not a holy day. Absolutely. No. Yeah. Every day's holy. And some days are a little holier than others. Yeah, every day is blessed. Absolutely. It depends on how you, your decision of that bless is. You can glorify in it or you can be mad in it, but you're yeah. blessed. You just decide what you're going to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marsha's episode, she did two episodes, and it yeah. was super It's easy. always that way. <laughs> that was up one up and everybody. <laughs> so are you going to have to do three just to kind of kind of put it back now? And she wrote it all and found there anyway. So. <laughs> she, she stole all the good stuff? Yeah. I have no clue what you're going to tell me, but I have one thing I need to do. Um, I was given a gift a while, and friends, if you're listening, I want you to know what happens right now is is real. I'm not faking this. Um, hang on. There I am. Tarbo's man. I, at the end of Camp with Pegram, I was given a life-size replica of Al that has been in my office since July, and I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> and Al, the best thing, is we put this in my office and I didn't tell Penny and I didn't mean to, but she came in one night and the lights were off. <laughs> you almost killed poor Penny over there because there is a six foot tall man in the office in the middle of the night. First lady ever killed was Starburst. That's right. Uh, in the, the picture, he's holding a handful of Starburst candy. Um, yeah, I had a good crew for years. The kids found me. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's all, you know, I just kind of, same way we we find God. Mm-hmm. He's standing there with his hand out here. Here's your candy. Yeah, here's your starburst. Yeah. I love it. Well, what's your God story, Al? Uh, my God story is uh, 
I grew up a good part of myself early years here in Burns. Yeah. Yeah. Played uh, the league baseball field right here. Uh, pitched several perfect games. Did you? I was a Hall's pitcher. Really? And my players would go out and sit down. <laughs> we went out. I would strike up by out. I just go out and sit down on the way. But, uh, you know, in anything, like anything, if we played 20 games a week, I pitched 20 games a week. Okay. I was the pitcher. Yeah. One more mile. Time I was in high school, it was gone. Like I had a rubber band on my elbow. But I still loved it and enjoyed it. Uh, Bill and James Tibble loved them. They were my coaches. And, uh, they were like another family to me. I, I come from a, a, a halfway large family, just six of us, but we didn't have a lot. So, you know, time with them was marvelous because they had a big family. <laughs> They'd have reunions and it looked like, you know, well, hundreds. Yeah. Me, but I grew up here in Burns. I uh, went to church here in a little white, little white church, you know. Uh, uh, I, I, I was trying to recall, I, we had a real good buddy that was a preacher. I came here for you, preached here at White Bluff. His name was Dan, Dan, something, he was a young guy, super guy. He used to take his places anyway. I admired him, but my, my walk with the Lord came from my grandfather, you know. He, I was, uh, like I say, I, I love sports and. And was pretty good. The Lord bless me. I was pretty good at everything I tried. I had a will to be good. You know, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it good. So, uh, but when church time came, where it'd be Sunday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, or Wednesday night, there Paul pulled up, blinked his lights, and I knew it was time I had to go. Yeah. Dirty as a pig, dust, dirt all over me. What church? Uh, I loved him deaf. He took me fishing, hunting, uh, our fam family broke up. My father left when I was young enough. I don't even remember leaving. He was in the war, in the war and had some struggles with that. But he left. So left my mom with four of us, and uh, so she remarried a guy from here in Burns, R.C. Gray. He actually ran. I don't know if you got how much you know about the history. There used to be a reader service station right here by Public Oil. Yeah. And a grocery store across from it. Okay. Well, he ran them for all the time we lived there. And I would, uh, pretty amazing thing, I would, had no push mower. I'd found somebody give me, I, actually, I think uh, uh, an uncle gave it to me, and I got it running. And I would push it over and I'd give me a oil can full of gas and take off. And I mowed yards and burns all summer long for a dollar a yard. Wow. Didn't matter what size it was, I got a dollar. Ooh. And that's all I did, mow yard and play ball. Uh, I'd kill to pay a dollar a yard right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, my gas is a nickel, maybe. There was a little store there in Restaurant there, too, called Whiteway. I don't remember much about it. Gemma, Gemma Pargo owned it. Uh, but uh, he had two boys, and I played ball with him. But it was, uh, I'd mow yards, and I'd go in there and give me an hamburger. And I could go over to Bobby Reader's, and I can get a 16-ounce ROC Cola. Moon pie for about 20 cents. RC Cola and Moon Pie. Oh, couldn't be any better. That's right. But I wasn't selfish, you know. I, could, I would take the money on and give it to my mom to hear. She she would, uh, uh, most of the time, Friday nights was hamburger night because she worked and my stepfather, RC Gray, worked. And so I'd buy hamburger meat, cheapest thing you could buy, you know, and we'd have hamburgers. But uh, it was uh, a great time, good time. Loved it. Loved the people here at church. Uh, 
first job I ever had got paid for other than mowing yards. So the guy that run the post office, and I've been trying to recall his name. I ain't come up with it. But he hired he, he, me and my older brother one summer to plant pine trees over here. You know where the fire tower is? Yeah. Well, we planted all the pine trees. Really? The whole summer. Are those the pine trees they're cutting down right now? Might be. I don't know. Good you know, seriously. That, 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 you know how you go in that underpass? You yeah. It's short, it's and then the fire tires back here? It was ball back in there. That's I didn't, my favorite part of Montgomery Bell Park. Yeah. Down I, there to Werewolf Springs. Yeah. I didn't know it was cutting them down, but anyway. We planted them, and he he would pay us, and my mom would get up, and she left what we did, but she'd fix us lunch. It was always a biscuit and potatoes, you know. Man, they were good because I could bring them to school and people tried to trade me out of them. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a good time. Loved it. Loved living in Burns. Walked the streets all the time. Popped tar bubbles with my toes and, you know, picked up uh, bailed hay barefooted. That's how tough my feet was. Yeah, I can't even hardly get across the floor now barefooted. <laughs> we were tough. Uh, guy at a grocery store down here named Carl Bishop. Was right there. I used to live right beside the church. There was a white house there. Uh, I think the Browns owned it. J.C. Brown, not J.C. but Roy Brown. Yeah, I think he owned it. We lived there. Uh, funny things you think of. Uh, Miss Eileen Stewart was our principal, and I'd rather take a beating any day and heard where you at with her tongue. She could, you could go in there and and then when you call out. You you might felt like you're in a wagon rut. Yeah, she can make you feel so bad. And a great lady, loved her to death. I mean, she's just good. Her, I talked to Gemma, Gemma Pargrove. Some of the people will remember him. He was a janitor at school, and he's also a school bus driver. And uh, I, I remember I used to ride the school bus on Friday evenings to White Bluff, so I could stay at my grandmother's to bust up her stove wood. My grandfather, I didn't finish that, but he passed away when I. Like seven or eight, and, and I loved him. He was a little bit of church there in White Bluff, in there in the mall called Pleasant View, and he was one of the leaders there. Well, he's at the corner of Pleasant View Road and a yeah. the, not School Road, Hawkins, Hawkins, some um, yeah, yeah. But uh, there was church there, and him and his brother-in-law, uh, JYLO, kind of was. Uh, they didn't call themselves elders, but they were the elders and the overseers. Uh, love, love going there. Yeah, uh, in every church, there's people who might not have the title, but they really are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he would teach a class. It was amazing. The church wasn't very big. I don't. I was young, so I don't know how big it was. I know it, it filled up, but it wasn't very big to fill up. But he would. He taught a class. And it was young people class or something. I guess I was in it. I got to be in it before he passed away. And it had like first grade, probably twelfth grade. But something he always did that stuck in my mind deep was he would he would once a year load up everybody that wanted to go and he'd take us to the prison up there all, all right there in West Nashville oh, the, the big, big prison yeah. yeah you know and he he knew him and they would open up the gates and they would intentionally slam them gates when we went through them yeah and he'd make a point say alright boys and girls you know what that means no, you have no more freedom. Yeah. I think about people in jail now that got all the freedom in the world, but yeah. but he said, it's been taken away, and it, you can get it back, but you don't have it. Once you go through these gates, you've done something to put you here. You don't have any freedom. So that, that's pretty good. Another story of him, well, I've got, well, I got him on my mind. 
he uh, took me to, I don't know if you know the history of Mari Stewart, creepy, hair cutter in White Bluff forever. I've heard of him, okay. Yeah, he cut hair forever. He had a little barbershop, and that it, it reminds you of Floyd's on Andy Griffin. I mean, you go in there, and there's always 80, 10 people sitting around telling something. Yeah. We went up there one Saturday morning to get a haircut, and, and a new thing there was a, uh, was a, it had a Coke machine. Nobody had seen a Coke machine before. I had seen them, but he had. Nobody else had. But anyway, they talked about it. My grandfather wasn't a whole lot of talker. He would laugh and smile, but he wasn't a big talker. He, But uh, <clears throat> so uh, I listened to him. I, I, we got our hair cut and left, and we was driving back home. Over in old 53 Chevrolet. I'm driving along. He'd always reach over. He wouldn't tell me something. He'd reach over and slap me on the head. Boy. I said, yeah, Paul. He said, you see that machine in there? I said, yeah, that's a Coke machine, Paul. I've seen that. He said, you stay away from them. I said, stay away from a Coke machine? He said, yep, anything back itself against the wall and challenge the world, you stay away from it. <laughs> so, that's good stuff in there. Yeah. 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 And the other thing was, he so would tell me. stay away from the Coke machine or not? Nah, I, I hung <laughs> with them. Yeah. But but the theory behind it, I stayed away from Yeah. You know, anything that's challenging the world, I'm child. You know, anything changes God's rule, I'm, I'm not, not in there. Anything looking to pick a fight just for the fun of it? His other story was, was boy, life's going to be tough. Said, you've already been tough. Said, you, you know, you're living tough because my dad had left me. And he said, but said, how you handle that tough? So, what kind of man are you going to be? And I said, what do you mean, Paul? He said, well, when you hear something or somebody tells you something, say, thank to yourself. He said, his words was, chew on it. I thought, hmm, chew on it. He said, yeah, chew on it. Tastes good. Swallow it. Go on about your business. He said, if it ain't right, spit it out. <laughs> he said, if it don't taste good, spit it out. It ain't good. It's not from the Lord. That's some good advice. It was great advice. And that's what I said. Those two things have patterned my life a lot. But anyway, I loved him. And that, that's all I'll say you know, about him. I loved it. I stayed with him. My grandmother, he passed away. And, and then I was back to riding Jamal Parker with school bus. I was back to riding it on Friday evenings, and I would bust her wood, take it up on the porch, and stay with her during the weekend. Monday morning, ride it back. There's one thing I always noticed about Jamal Pargo's school bus. You know, I ask, I, I'm sure you've probably been on a bus with a bus of kids, and a lot of noise, a lot of carrying on. If that bus stopped, you could hear a pin drop. Somebody had done something. Uh-huh. And Jam Up was the, he was Miss Eileen Shears, this one there. And if there was a paddling to get, he gave it out. And if he stopped that bus, somebody's thinking get jerked off of it. He'd take his belt off and he'd straighten you out, put you back on, go on about your business. You know, he'd probably be in jail. Yeah, he would. Yeah. But it was a, he's a good guy. I mean, Jam Up was a good guy. Just wait. That's just the way it was. You know, one of the things I've heard about Miss Stewart, you know, I didn't get to know her. Uh, was that she was just ahead of her time in education. What she did with with special needs kids, how hard she invested in people, the discipline, building the kindergarten and the, you know, I mean, we're sitting in the room that was the, the kindergarten, pre-K, first grade. Yeah, I went to school. Country. I went to school right here. In that white building right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love Miss Eileen. I, I like my earnings. They, they had a math teacher here. <laughs> and all the things, his name was Decimal Dan Dooge. Decimal Dan. Dan dude, tough guy. Scar on his head, forehead, built like a like a linebacker. 
but a great guy. And uh, as we go in school, school wasn't ever that important to me. I, I would get along, get along. But uh, he had this plan to where when you got in his class, the highest, the person with the highest grade got set up here. Okay. And Lois was way over here. Oh. Well, I started out over here. Yeah. By the end of the year, I was sitting right here. Really? And that was all because of him. Yeah. You know, he encouraged me, showed me, and he was a good guy. You know, I think a lot about And he was an old, you know where he come from? He was an old stuntman from California. Stuntman? Like yeah. the movies? Yeah, movie. Stuntman. He was in one of the monster shows. He used to always tell us. Really? I can't remember which one it was, but he was in there. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I never would have imagined that was what you're going to tell me. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, yeah. things run through you, man. But anyway. You know, uh, a place with some cool history. Huh? It, Burns is a neat community with some neat history. Oh, yeah. Burns got a, a lot of tales I can tell you about people in Burns. I don't know. Blake Welch, you ever hear about Blake? And, you know, and there's Arlie Deal. Have you heard of Arlie? I have. Yeah. Arlie was a great guy. Picked up hay with him many days. His mom was about the size of, I don't know if there's anybody in church small as her. She's a little bitty woman. Yeah. You know, he, he's seven, four, seven, six, weighed five, six hundred pounds. And, Picks up hay and throws it at you like he is. <laughs> but uh, you go over there. He would take you over to his mom's and feed you and lunch. You work with him. Man, what good food she cooked. And a little bit of woman. But he was uh, he was road commissioner. He was so big, he, he drove an old one-ton flatbed. And he was so big, he'd sit on that side, and you could see it going down the road. Truck, yeah. truck going down the road like that. You could just see it kind of leaning. Yeah. Wow. Poor old diabetes in him. He had diabetes so bad. He'd have big old. His boots look like that. As a matter of fact, they had these boots in Clay's Nixie's hardware. Really? When they uh, sold it, somebody bought them, but he would have to slit them. Uh, you know, because so his feet would swell so much. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of good guys. Pedro, uh, Pedro Gray, Bobby Gray. Mm. Uh, I used to admire him something. Ever. Yeah. They had a, the ball field here in Burns at that time had another grandstand, a wooden grandstand. Really? Yeah, and so. They had me in baseball teams. He played state stove. Man, he could hit a ball. Yeah. But anyway, a lot of, a lot of people in Burns, good people. Uh, love living in Burns. Got a lot of good life lessons. But uh, but Burns is not the only place you've been. You've been, I've been around. In everywhere, man. Yeah. There's a song about that. Yeah, there is. Yeah. But anyway, we moved back to White Bluff. And about the time they built this gym, we moved. I was playing basketball in the seventh grade year for Coach C.T. Keel. And we moved to White Bluff, ended up playing there. But uh, we moved in a house, a Jones home, they call them, back in. Jones built them, and you finished them. Okay. And so we uh, we had my mom had a piece of property. We built a house. And that summer, me and my older brother, younger brother, uh, it didn't have it had a bathroom, but it didn't have the septic and field line. We hand dug them that summer. And to be honest, and they'll, and they'll agree with you, I dug 90% of it. I bet. But anyway, at, uh, we lived there for till my mom, uh, don't want to get ahead of myself, but, you know, I loved I loved, my Lord, I loved the Lord a whole lot when my granddaddy was alive. We didn't go as much after he passed on. Yeah. And uh, it was just, my, you know, both of them worked and this, that, and the other. But we lived there in White Bluff, and, and we did, I did go to, vacation Bible school, went to the uh, youth things and this other thing that they had then was, you know, ever so often the young people would lead service. 
I'd get up and bellow like a cow, like a sane. Good thing about singing, I would tell everybody, you know, I'll do anything in church. I said, I've been asked to lead singing once. <laughs> you don't get asked a second time. I don't get that. I've never been asked a second time. I don't blame them. Yeah, I make that joyful noise. I love that. That's the best. Yeah, but uh, anyway, we uh, we lived there in White Bluff, what school, I, at high school, White Bluff, and junior high. And, uh, enjoyed it. Hey, made a good, bunch of good friends. Uh, Mosley's became real good friends with the Mosley's, you know. Uh, uh, Started Camp Leatherwood. Yeah, the Colonel. It's a Leatherwood, I built a lot of, kind of a lot of it. And uh, uh, Donnie was a year or two behind me, but you know how you always have pickup teams. Ben Center was there in White Blood. We played basketball. If it wasn't playing a ball, some kind of ball, and then after school, we'd all meet and play basketball. I always chose Donnie. He'd give you all he could. And then when it's time for him to go, you know, when General or, or would come by and say, Don, time to go, he's gone. And I used to be amazed how much he loved the Lord to never question that. He'd go. Yeah. It didn't matter if he was scoring more points than anybody, defense, it didn't matter. He'd go. He'd just go. Yeah, and I and I liked that. But, uh, and I began to think about that and think about, my, you know, my walk with the Lord more because I admired Donnie so much. But anyway, uh, I was about 13, ninth grade, I think, and uh, sister and I went to, had to go to summer school. And then back in, it was just kind of showing up and reading through his book, and you got passed. Most of the time at White Bluff, I got passed along anyway because I was good in sports, and they didn't want to call me back. Yeah. So they didn't teach me to read, but they told me that if I was good at something, I could move on. Yeah. So. Not I don't know what that was. It didn't work too good. No, I, I've suffered a lot of years yeah. because of that. But anyway, uh, had a cousin came in one summer. I think it was August sixth, and we'd like for a week being done with summer school. And he came in, all look on his face, and I thought, "Well, what's wrong with Joe?" And my mom had been killed in a car accident that morning. Oh, and uh, uh, so the strong people in my life had been my grandfather who I didn't get to spend much time with. And then came with be my mom, who I thought the world of, and she worked, I know you how hard she worked. There was six of us siblings in, and, uh, but she got killed in a car wreck. And how old were you? 13. 13. Actually, I was fixing to be 13 in about a week. Okay. It was going, one of my aunts was going to give me a 13th birthday party, but anyway. Wow. Uh, you talk about a tough time in life. It was. It was a tough time, and I had a lot of I had a tough time getting over it. And, and, not, and the reason that the biggest tough time I had getting over it is I just got madder and far as God. Yeah. You know, he kept telling me how much, you know, how good God was and how he loved you and do all this. And he took my father, my grandfather, and now my mom. So I was mad. You know, I said, what the weird thing was, I've been in prayer all my life. I started praying when I was young. I guess my grandfather taught me to pray. Speaking of my grandfather, I wanted to add this in there. Both my grandfathers worked on Cheatham Dam. Really? Mm-hmm. My grandfather on my dad's side broke ground with no mules and shovels and dug it out. My grandfather on, the, on my mom's side was a carpenter and he flung concrete. Really? Yeah. So they both worked on it. So I always, you know, when I'm around there, I just think about that, yeah. especially. Anyway, I didn't mean to jump away no, from that's that. Okay. But anyway, the, uh, 
I was bitter and uh, uh, stepfather never had a great relationship with him. And one reason why he was pretty young, he was he wasn't much older than us. And I'm not sure how him and my mom got together. Lived in the same holler, though, like I say. Right. One lived on this side of the creek, now lived here. But anyway, they uh, and he was driving the car, so there was some resentment there. It wasn't his fault. Somebody turned right into him. But uh, uh, but when you're 13 and grieving, it's not about the logic. Yeah. Well, you don't have any logic. Right. And you're mad at the Lord. So you're just mad. Yeah, you're just mad. And and uh, so I was uh, pretty rowdy. Got pretty rowdy. Do whatever and whenever I wanted to. Uh, he was in the hospital a long time, so they shifted us around from aunt to uncle or whatever until he got out. Well, he got out within a few months. He married some of them, a lady with six more kids. Oh, man. Yeah, that's what an uh, old man. And I tried to be decent about it. I worked. If I wasn't playing ball, I was working. I worked at the Reader's Service Station here in Burns when I was in high school, early school. And then, because I had to come back here, but I was still going to White Bluff. I, getting, I, I tried to White Bluff because I wasn't going to Dixon. And uh, But anyway, it, uh, I finally, it kind of came to a head one night. And, you know, I told him how I was done with him and done with them and, and just left. I went to my grandparents, uh, uh, Griffins, and Papa and Grandma. I loved them. They were good people, hard. They went to Pleasant View. He was one of, he was one of the leaders, but uh, lived with them through high school. And uh, by then, my dad had came back, and he lived there too, but there wasn't much of a relationship. He was just there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, excuse me. <laughs> after they died and here come a cousin of mine he's a good guy he's a preacher you ain't heard of him told story come out of West Tennessee but uh, he came and he decided he put the gift truck, gift truck on me I need to be baptized and he done a good job because I was baptized <laughs> you know yeah. felt guilty enough that I need to be baptized and you know, he would feed me a store if you want to see your grandfather and your mom again. You got to do this. Yeah. So, okay. But I never did. It wasn't a, it wasn't a heartfelt baptism. It was pleased some people. You did it so you wouldn't feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Still felt bad. Yeah. But I was going to tell you, I've always prayed. Even when I wasn't, even when I was mad to the Lord, I'd pray at night. Yeah. That's weird, ain't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's weird. Did you tell him you're mad at him? Or yeah, I told him, him I, I would. I would say if sometime and maybe and if you think, you know, I'd, I'd try to just, I don't know, I guess I'd just get things off my mind and then nobody else to get it off to. So yeah. I just rattled them. But uh, my church life up to that point had always been pretty much the old dogmatic Church of Christ. It was, we're number one, nobody else could hang with us and. If you're not doing what we're doing, ain't doing you no good. Where are you going? Yeah. You know, that's just the way you are. And uh, so I didn't, you know, didn't know. I, uh brother's married. He married a church, a girl from Church of God who loved God and done wonderful, was wonderful at it. And I thought, there ain't no way if, if she's not going to heaven that I can get there. Yeah. I mean. This doesn't make sense. Yeah, it don't make no sense. But anyway, so we progressed on and I was doing okay and. Finally got through school, 
went to, uh, I don't know why I did it, but uh, at that time, computers were just coming alive. Okay. Uh, this is in 69. So I had a piece of money left from my mom that was divided up, and it was enough for me to take a year of Falls Business College really? up, on, up in Nashville. Okay. And they had a computer. And that one computer fit in their whole basement. Mm-hmm. It was large. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't probably, I'm sure there wasn't in this building. Yeah. And, you know, and you had all the key punch and all this and that. And I loved outside stuff. I don't even know why I did it. Yeah. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I didn't do it. And, and I made a, a lot of good friends and 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 never did really catch on to computer. Wasn't really your thing. Yeah. So uh, I spent my year and spent my money and. Wonder why I did it, but uh, finally got back out and started going to doing work I enjoyed doing, carpentry. I loved outside, loved doing whatever I could do outside. And, uh, but in between those places, when I was a teenager, there was a place, and I'll back up a little, a place in Dixon. It's where the Hope Center is now. You know where the Hope Center is right there, right behind Dale Reagan's? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The big old building? Yes friend of mine, a, a good friend of mine, owned it at that time. His name was Ferris Brown. Okay. Bunyan Brown, everybody called him. He put in a teen center. Really? Yeah. Put in a teen center, had bands. And you'd go there, and they'd have a band of Fridays there at night, and you could dance and just meet kids and do it around. Well, I was uh, I was there one Saturday night and met Marsha. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was pretty inebriated. <laughs> okay. I can remember her eyes. That's about it. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine... He said, uh, the next night, he said, Joe, I asked her out, go movie, go drive in with us. And I said, Richard, I don't even remember what she looks like. He said, she could. <laughs> so I asked her and she went, but we never, we friends. We yeah. never dated a little here and there, but just friends and uh, kind of went our own way and just stayed friends. As a matter of fact, I spent my last two or three years of high school dating her best friend. Really? Yeah, I mean, we were tight. I mean, I figured I was who I was going to end up with. And, uh, but, you know, life didn't turn out that way. It didn't. I ended up in, after I, in Nashville, when I was living in Nashville, I lived with these three other guys. We lived in Barbara out off Everson Bike there. I worked at a uh, water place as a shipping clerk. So I worked, went to school, and, and partied around, just uh, no whatever, and then ran into Marsha. And, and uh, we struck back up a relationship. Yeah. And, uh, but that relationship developed into, uh, me asking her to marry me and, and the heck of what said, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know why, but she did, but she, 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 uh, stole my heart and I, I love her and have her for going 53 years. But 53. She's, uh, she, uh, she and her family were different than mine. Yeah. You know, these huggers and. Loved each other, day you love you, and this, that, and the other, and mine was pretty, hadn't been that good. A story, a story I wanted to back up, too, and I keep missing parts. That's okay. Uh, I hadn't played this in my mind, I had, so I just figured, I'd Lord, take care of it. Hey, I'm getting it all the first time, so it's all right. So uh, my younger brother, Pierre, you know Pierre Adams' dad? Yeah. He, when I left that night from my stepfather's here in Burns, I looked at him and I said, the day I get my driver's license, I'm coming after you. And that was probably two years later. My sister-in-law told me to get my driver's license. On the way I am, I stopped and got him and brought him 
Papa and Grandmamas, and he lived there with us. Really? But uh, so good relationship, you know. He's Peter. good people. Huh? He and Charlene are just great people. Oh, yeah, they are. They are. I can tell you forever stories on them, but anyway. <laughs> Oh, we'll, we'll record those, but we'll use them against him later. We won't publish those unless he doesn't do what we want. But uh, he was always the manager of whatever team we was playing. I played baseball, football, basketball, or in track. Uh, then plays. If it was in, at White Bluff, I was into it. And uh, But uh, he was always just a supporter, and he loved doing it. But anyway. So I went and got him, and that was my backup to make sure I got that into my story because I just— Yeah, that's important. I, I loved him, and he needed to be out of that situation he was in. Yeah. And uh, But uh, so Marshall said, yeah, we got married and uh, uh, was living uh, was living up on uh, Edmondson off of, uh, off of uh, Harding Place in Nashville in some apartments, and I was working for— an engineering company doing surveying. One of the best things I ever did because they taught me how to read plans real good. Okay. It was just kind of a work and learn. I mean, the guy who owned it was a good guy. And, and so I worked there a couple of years. And we, we were living there. And one day I had a cousin call and asked me, name was Buford Jocelyn. You know Doug. Yeah. His brother. The one okay. just passed away not long ago. He called me. He, he would, him and his wife had having some troubles and, they owned a house there on 47. Hadn't been built, but maybe six months. New house, Russ Moore built it. He called and he said, he said, how you on? I don't worry, my house is, me and Rita are getting a divorce. I need to get do something with the house. And I said, joke. I said, you I can't afford your house. And he said, well, you paying up there? And I told him, he said, it's $100 a month. June 4th, that's what you're paying there. So I said, okay. So we moved back to White Bluff, $100 a month. Might have might have been there six months, eight months, and Buford called me one day. He said, "You want to buy an house?" I said, "Buford, I can't buy this house. I'm making fifty dollars a week. Marshall's making fifty dollars. I she made a little more than me, I think." And uh, he said, "Well," he said, "I said, well, you want for it?" He said, "Just take over the payments. I bought a three bedroom brick for less than fifteen thousand dollars." I just want you to know that everyone in my generation right now hates you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> hundred dollars a month. I don't even pay my insurance. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So that, you know, I definitely from the Lord, but that started my walk with the Lord more than anything where I ended up right there. Just being because in being right there in White Bluff around people that I knew and I knew a lot of people at the church. I was one of those people, you know, I was still mad at God. Marcia was smelling me because I seen something in her I hadn't seen other Christians. Yeah. But, uh, and I would always have the old excuse, you know, I don't have to go there to be a hypocrite. There's no hypocrites there. You know, huh? I, I don't have to go there. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, so they had a bus program, mm -hmm. and uh, the bus would stop pick up our little girl. By that time, we had Holly, and having Holly, I wanted to get that story in there. Having Holly was uh, a wonderful thing. She was born in Donaldson Hospital, out there, not Donaldson, Madison Hospital. And uh, the uh, excitement I had of her birth was I never understood I never knew you could be excited. It's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know what? There's nobody there but me. Yeah. <laughs> nobody there but me. And, of course, back in, you couldn't go watch them be Byram. Yeah. So I was just standing there at that window looking at her thinking, wow. Wow. And I turned around, you know what? My uncle was standing there. Yeah? Yeah. I thought, how on earth? Now, another great guy in my life that 
I don't know if you ever got Justin talking about him or not. It's Justin's granddaddy. Okay. His name was Lester Dawson. He worked at Nashville Bridge for years, and he preached every Sunday somewhere. He went to Nashville School of Preaching and was a preacher. And they, and they would always ask him. I called him Daddy Leck. That's what he meant to me. And, they, and people would ask him, so, so Lester, won't you get a job in full-time church and preach? He said, no, so I never want the elders telling me how I can preach. There's something to that. Yeah, absolutely was. Wonderful man. Ain't Ruby now. That was my mom's sister, their their grandmother. Okay. She's a horse with a different color, but anyway, <laughs> you, you know, you loved her, but she was she was she's a, she's amazing. But I love Doctor Lester. To connect the dots for people in case they didn't realize it, Justin has already done an episode uh, several ago, and Steve Holiday, who married Holly. Yeah. He's done once. So, uh, I mean, if you listen to those, you're going to get more of the family story in here, too. Yeah. But anyway, I love loved Uncle Lester, and I just wanted to make sure I covered yeah. him because I did. Special man. But I couldn't tell you the feeling. I turned around, and there he was. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you doing? Yeah. How'd you know? You know? I hadn't told nobody. Yeah. And there he was. Ain't no telling what he had come from. You know, he, he lived over in, off Charlotte Park, right yeah. there off American Road. It wasn't like now when it's on social media, you get a text message, no. you know. No, he was just there. And man, what a, what a blessing that was. If I run too long, shut me off. You're good. You're good. But uh, I need to get on anyway. You know. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we got to Wide Bluff, and uh, the workshop was pumping up at Wide Bluff. And I don't know if you ever knew much about it, but uh, Marsha had went with a bunch of young people, and I made sure she went to Tulsa a year or two before they started ours. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of them went, and I scraped up enough money for her to go, and she went out there on a shoestring mm-hmm. and came back, and she was just, I mean, I just couldn't, I, couldn't, I didn't know what to do with her. Mm-hmm. You know, she just was jabber, jabber, jabbing about this, what she heard, what she seen, what the, what the Lord do, what did, that, that, that. And so the bus started coming back, and by then we'd had Ollie, and she was up big enough to ride the bus. Wes had came along, too, but he was still a baby, but uh, she'd waddle out there to the bus and get on it every day, you know. And so Marsha, who hadn't been real faithful in church, went back to church, and she got she got faithful faithful. I mean, I even built, I built the, I don't know if they still have it, but I built the nursery furniture at White Buck Church. Really? You know, those little tables that are round, little bitch here. Yeah, I call them the bucket seats. Yeah. Because the kids can't get out of them. Yeah. They're in like little buckets. I built those for her, for her class. She was to start So back up just a second. Marsha went to Tulsa in the stage where she wasn't really all in. Mm-hmm. Well, she she loved the Lord, but she... Right. I, I'm not saying she was a heathen, yeah. but it was before she was... What caused her to go? Do you know? Uh, just excitement there at church. With just some people people. excited. Yeah, there's a bus, 40-some of them going. Yeah. Jerry Butler's a big... You know Jerry Butler? Yeah, I know Jerry. Yeah, he was a big influence, and some others talked her into going, so I convinced her she'd go. She went out there with like 15 bucks. uh <laughs> You know, the room was paid for. Somebody, I think somebody paid for it, but and spent sad he came back and and uh, she was just on fire with it. And anyway, from that came the workshop. And when the workshop there wiped up again, I went to the first one and I was begin to I began to go. I wasn't real that's pretty steady, but I wasn't real steady, but I began to go and Workshop came, and Terry Rush came one. He spoke. You ever know Terry? No, I love him, yeah. 
he came, and then Marvin Phillips, Jeff Wallen, that good lineup of yeah. people, and they came. But uh, that a youth, youth speaker that taught at the high school up there, his name was Dick uh, Weber. You ever hear Dick? No. Actually, he was the one that solved the uh, mystery there in Atlanta of the guy that was killing all them black people. Really? Yeah. He was one, one of the lead detectives on it, but he was a Christian. Really? And he was a tough Christian. And so I was up there. They asked me to help them with keep parking and work up there that day at school. So I did, and I went in when everything was settled. And Brooks Duke, I don't know if you know Brooks, but he was old with you. No, Brooks. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Brooks was looking at his watch. He'd looking all around trying to figure out where Dick Weber was. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this guy up there looked like come on hell angels, you know, the sleeveless jacket and chain. And so when he started talking about it, and this guy started walking toward Brooks, hit <laughs> Dick Weber. And his first words to the kids and everybody else in there was, I thought I was coming to a soul-winning workshop. He said, you know, I've been here an hour. Ain't nobody asked me about my soul. And then he went over there, and he, and he, was, he turned out to be a great guy. I loved him to death. And, uh, but he, he hadn't, that was a big influence, but... Back to that night, uh, Terry was preaching on mediocrity. You know, you either in or you out. Yeah. And uh, Lord, Lord pricked my heart and said, it's time, big Al. You do something. And I never had mentioned it, never talked to anybody. I just stood up, walked down front, and came a lap back over to the Lord. And I told them then, and I told, and I told the Lord, I said, I don't know what I can do for you, but whatever it is, if you ask me to do it, I'll do it. And I have to say that was a lot of years ago. I still have that same feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, I never told the Lord no that I know of. I may have done things that way, made him wish I'd said no, but <laughs> but I never told him no. But anyway, so we, I got back in church, started driving the bus and teaching and working around. My company I was with sent us to uh, Florida. Jupiter, Florida, right out of Jupiter, a place called Palm Beach Gardens. And there's an island out there. And we were building a condo on it. And the guy, the superintendent, chose me to go. And first of all, I was going to go and let Marshall and him stay here. And we said that couldn't work. So we rented a house, the little brick we had, and went down there for, well, I don't know, been a year. It was over a year, but uh, went into a church down there. Uh, there was two churches. There was a big church. Palm Beach Gardens, Palm Beach Lakes, and there was a little church. And uh, we went to both, and I told Marsha, I said, I feel good, pretty good about this little church. The guy preached there, his name was Frank Christen and uh, Rose, and they were old. They were in their 80s, probably. But uh, we met with them the first Sunday, went in there, went, visited them, came back, told them we thought we'd like to be a part of the church. Frank looked up and made a smile, and he said, Good, Brother Griffin, you laid prayer this morning. I never led an opening prayer, a prayer in church in my life. But you know what? That was the best thing I could have ever done. Yeah. Because I didn't sit and fret and worry and wonder what if I could do it. I got up and mumbled something, come back and sat down, asked Marshall, I said, Anybody understand anything I said? But that was, a great, that was a great thing yeah. for me. And I've used that a lot with youth over the years, a lot. Yeah. It just put them on the spot. Don't give them time to think about it. No, they'll give put them, them on the spot. Yeah. Or more yeah. if so sick. 
Yeah. But anyway. I think the same thing's true for grownups to do, <laughs> by the way. I think <laughs> it is. Yeah, you, know, you rip the band aid off for people. Yeah. And they and they like to hang on that band aid. Yeah. They do. Whatever. But anyway, we uh came back and worked hard at church, uh drove the bus three times a three times a week, hundred ten degrees or five degrees. We'd drive in buses. Marshall would teach, I'd drive and uh Got building relationships with kids around there and working this, that, and the other. And before long, Brooks left. And the shepherds said, you know, knew I was involved with them so much. said, do you think you could take care of the youth? I said, sure. I don't know. But why not? But in between there, I started going to Tulsa, too, on those trips. And it, it wasn't an eye-opener. You know, I seen things I'd never seen, heard things I'd never heard. There was a Holy Spirit that I didn't think was anywhere within that book. And, and and Jesus loved me. He died on the cross for me. Not just died, but he died for me. And, you know, I started started understanding a lot of that stuff and, yeah. and reading. I started studying a lot. I wasn't a big study, but I started studying God's Word. And uh, so I became the youth director and had a great bunch of kids. And I had them because, like I said, I never gave them a lot of chance to say no. Yeah. I'd just say, hey, Scott, you're doing the prayer tonight. And we had a, and this, I know it's hard to believe, but for, I don't know, 12, 13 years, we had a devotional every Sunday night somewhere. And the first year I'd meet with the parents and I'd say, listen, if you won't have us at your house on a Sunday night, that's marvelous. But I said, I'm bringing, and it got pretty big. I had 30 or 40. That's pretty big for White Bluff. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, I'm bringing them. And I said, if you've got stuff in your house you don't want broke, you either put it up or you don't want it there. Yeah. I said, that's just the way it is. And it's, there are no hard feelings for it. If you don't want to scum, that's fine. Yeah. And then many a night we met just outside, you know, build a fire outside somewhere. But a lot of them wanted us. Yeah. And so we started doing that. And I even taught a class there, one of the hardest classes I guess I've ever taught. I decided that the youth and the parents needed to understand each other better. Oh. Because the parents are here protecting their kids. You know, don't want them doing this, don't want them seeing this, don't want them doing this. And yeah. the kids are right here. They can get out of high school and go to college and not have a clue. Yeah. Hadn't seen it. Doesn't know what to do with all this. So I taught a class about it, about that. And it, it, it was a tough class. You know, you had parents who thought I was an idiot. And, <laughs> and you had, you'd have arguments down there between parents and them. But. I think it was a good thing. Excuse me. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Oh, y'all good? Yeah. So uh, we had that. We kept on. Uh, youth, youth was real good. Uh, I was getting. I was running a business and doing the youth, running construction business, and <clears throat> Marshall was keeping my books and my, part of the time. Part of the time she's working, she's doing. So we were busy, too busy. Uh, but the kids loved us and we loved the kids and they knew it. You know, all I figured out, I figured out exactly what the kids want. Yeah. And you probably know it about as good as anybody. Kids just want somebody to listen to them. Well, that's all they want. Yeah. Just to be heard. Yeah. Just want something. They just want, they got something on their mind. They won't be able to say, this is what's on my mind. And that's what I pushed all the time. And I had some, I've had some sat down and talks with a lot of them that in my mind was going, Wow. But I, I didn't ever show it, or I don't like yeah. it yet. But, but they needed they needed they needed that, and they needed their parents to be that person. 
And that's what I kept all, all the time trying to push for and, and to work. But anyway, we stayed there a long time. And then Holly, Steve met each other. She went off to school and she's going to get married. They're going to get married. Steve was looking for a summer job. So I asked, talked to the guys there at church. And I said, won't you make him an intern and give me a break this summer? And they said, okay. And I had a pretty good relationship with most of the kids, most of the elders. Yeah. And, uh, they would let me teach what I wanted to, do things I wanted to. I mean, we were having one of the biggest kicks I remember. Well, I, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, the... Uh, you know, that was going to be a good story. Yeah, yeah the... Uh, uh, Steve was... He was fifth-year senior from Freed, Road Scholar, you know, pretty smart, good music guy. And uh, he came in and started doing things with them and he'd done a lot of them at church well i'd get you know i'd get i'd get rebuttals from somebody about hey you know we found hot dogs in the in the foyer and views and this it oh uh, no i said and then you know something got broke and then so i told him i had a meeting i called the elder and said listen steve's not steve's not me he's not doing anything the way i do him. he's doing what he thinks best and i said i trust him i said uh I said, I tell you what, anything gets tore up or broke here at this church, I'll fix. I'll pay for it and fix it. But I said, it's, it's, it, and uh, one of the elders pretty strong about church being in the temple, you know, when we didn't have no bits in there in the temple. And so, anyway, it, it's kind of a, they had a little downfall from there. We kept going to Tulsa, and they decided Tulsa wasn't good anymore, and this, that, and the other, and every, there was a, kindled up a fire between, kind of me and them and anyway so things just kind of went downhill yeah the elder a couple of elders died and there's people at church want me to be an elder i was too young to be an elder i didn't want to be an elder but they thought i'll be an elder uh me and bert at this time uh one of the greatest guys at church i've always loved him death jerry butler you know they didn't want the eldership didn't want jerry Butler to be an elder like he'd been a marvelous elder but yeah that's me and uh so they, you know, when there was a firestorm blew up, and so finally Marsha and I decided we'd have a meeting with them. One thing was is this one elder was always on my back when we we had a retreat with Walnut Street every fall, and it was a big retreat. I mean, we would have 140 kids. We'd go eat up, ten forward, take every cabin, everything they had, and spend the weekend. Well, it's usually the weekend that they had the day off, teachers meeting, yeah. anyway. But uh, in those weekends, we got to where we'd take communion at 12.01. Yeah. Saturday night. And uh, this one elder had just tore him all the bases. And uh, he got to tell me about some speakers out in Tulsa. And, and I tell him, I didn't defend him. I just tell him what I heard yeah. and what I thought. And, and so he uh, he called me one time. And he said, you know, and I was bringing back tapes. I said, listen to these tapes. I brought back to this one guy who was speaking, and I said, listen to this tape. He called me back one Sunday night right after church. He said, I've listened to this tape about 15 times now. And he said, and I've got it. I said, what you got? He said, right here where he called, he's talking about mid-juleps. You know, that's an alcoholic drink. 
all that good lesson that was in this le- in this thing. He listened to it fifteen times to, to find pick out that, what's wrong with it. To pick that out, <clears throat> and uh, and so we, I told Marshall, I said we just meet with elders to clear this stuff up. So we met with them, and the same guy, we was meeting, talking, and they were upset because I still went to. They had asked people not to go to Tulsa anymore. They felt like it's bad. So the, the workshop there, White Bluff, had died, and. So we could, we continued to go. I even took the youth one time. Took forty something youth out there. That's cool. Yeah, and they loved it. Mm-hmm. And came back different different people. Anyway, the uh, and so we were fixing to leave, and never will forget we was fixing to leave. And Marcia says, "Wait a minute!" Grabbed me in my arm and said, "Wait a minute." She said, this ain't right. She says, just what is it you have against Al? So tell us. We won't know before we leave here. And this one elder opened up his book and started reading things. I didn't think I ought to be doing. I wasn't doing right. And I was teaching too much about Rahab. Well, you glorifying horrorism or something like that was uh, <laughs> what, how it come across. And then I was just talking about lineage. I was taking a bunch of, uh, class on lineage. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, things kind of blew up that night, and I got up and walked away, and I said, listen, I've been here 20-something years. I've married my my kids, been buried, married, born here. I married my daughter here. I said, we're out. We're gone. And uh, oh, That must have been painful. It was terrible painful. You know, the good thing was, Marsh had all kind of family in Wallen Street, so right. just drifted off down there, and then we went up to, my, the bad part about the old bit was my son was about 13, 14 year old and all that's going on. Right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. And it had seen us pour out sweat and blood, stay up all night, do everything we could, you know, and then get treated this way. So he's, that's part of his bitterness, but he's coming out of it. And Lord bless him, he's coming. But anyway. Hang on. Can I stop you for a second? Mm-hmm. How did you make it through this without getting bitter? Uh... My bitterness had gone away when I understood exactly what Jesus did. Mm. I didn't understand it when I'm back when I was younger and bitter. Yeah. You know, I didn't understand God, didn't understand Jesus, didn't know grace, knew nothing about grace, didn't know nothing about the Holy Spirit. I had studied a bunch in between these two times. Yeah. And when I made that promise that time to God that I would do whatever he asked of me, because he says, you know, I ain't gonna ask of you what you can't take, mm-hmm. you know. And it ain't it ain't in there exactly those words, but that's what he says to me. And uh, so I I didn't get better. Uh, I had people, I had all kind of brothers and sisters from White Bluff come talk to me and you know tell me that you know what I, what I, you know, I'm as good as I could do, what problems gonna come. And so finally, I told him, I said, listen, I'll come to a meeting with the elders. You can get anybody you want there, and we'll talk this out. But I said. Uh, I said, I will not be a part of a church who keeps a book of records on people's wrongs. Yeah. I said, I just can't be a part of that. That's not okay. And so I, we had that meeting, and a lot of people backed in behind me and spoke up and this, that, and the other, and, and thought everything would be okay, but it wasn't okay. I wasn't going back there. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it, I wasn't going back here with that leadership, put it right. that way. And in, in the leadership had always, I'd always backed the leadership. And you know how leaderships are. I remember one time we were having this big rigmarole, and we had it every year around prom time. Kids wanted to know 
you know, won't know about dancing and 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 lasciviousness and this, that, and the other. And so I thought, I'll just go talk to the elders. So I called them each one by one yeah, and asked them, what do you think about this? What's your answer on this? You know what I got? Six different answers. Yeah. Six different answers. I enjoy church work, isn't it? I left there that night and I said, this ain't right. I said, if I want to answer, I'm going to get it out of this book. Yeah. You know, I'm going to answer for me. And that's what he says. It's up for each person to work out your own salvation. It ain't for, you know, an elder. And, and I've been an elder for a lot of years and I know the, I can, I can weigh on you and, 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 and it's a lot of responsibility, but it's not for me to make you be a Christian. No, I think that point's huge because I, I think I've seen some men be elders over the years who almost buckled under the weight because they felt a responsibility. It's almost like they felt that they were responsible for everyone's souls. Yeah. And that's that's not it. Um, you know, I've seen this thing on Facebook. It says, you know, Judas had the perfect teacher and he still fell away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think elder being an elder is a big responsibility. I do, but it's not. The responsibility that sometimes people make it out to, I don't have, our elders are not responsible for every word and every thought that this church has. They're responsible for feeding, protecting, and loving. Yeah. And that job's hard enough. What is an elder? He's a shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. What's a shepherd do? Takes care of the sheep? Feeds them. Yeah. Takes them to the vet? Beats the wolves? I mean. You know, I I read this, and sometime I told uh, David Broughton, sometime I'd love to do a class on 23rd song and shepherded. Uh, Bill Lard's done it for me years ago before I came to shepherd and loved it. And I know I could get his his stuff, but uh, in his study of shepherds, it never hit me until he brought this up. And he studied pretty hard on it. He said if a shepherd had a wayward sheep that kept wandering off and wandering off and he kept going and getting them, had to leave the flock and he'd find him stuck in the bush or in a crevice, he would break that sheep's leg. Really? For the full purpose that he had to tote that sheep to his leg with oil. Mm. But that relationship is what Bill was selling and what yeah. the shepherd was selling was, I'll take care of you. So what you're telling me is the shepherd, what he really is supposed to do is write down in a book every time the sheep wanders away and then bring the sheep to a meeting and yell at it for it, yeah. it, it, did I get something yeah. wrong in here? Have you both pull out your book? Yeah. Oh well. Uh, we didn't like you doing that. We didn't like <laughs> your fur looks funny. You yeah, guess what? Me and Marcia didn't like each other a lot of times too. But we've still been around fifty three years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, you marriage doesn't solve your problems. <laughs> this makes you better. Yeah. It'll make you better if you work them out. Mm-hmm. And that was God's plan. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he says it's good for two of you not to be alone. It, it, when you're alone, and you've done it, I've done it. We start visualizing things. Mm-hmm. And, and when you visualize, you get somebody over here saying this, saying this is what you need to think and this is how you need to do it. And then you got this one over here thinking this and this. And, you know, but when you put all that away and think, well, how God handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, how Jesus, why did I deserve God's son to hang on the cross for me? Why did I deserve that? Why did I, why did I get that blessing? And when you start asking yourself those questions, everything works. Yeah. Everything works. It's not a if, and, but, but everything will work. Now, it worked the way I want it to. Mm-hmm. It will. 
I got a lesson one time, and Picker was preaching one time, and in that lesson, I, I know, and the reason I bring this up is I had a brother call me on it a few years later and told me how much he appreciated But But the sum of it was, we make, we all make decisions. Some are good decisions, some are not good decisions. I said, but because you tried that doesn't make you a failure. Right. You're not a failure. You know, you just tried it, didn't work. Okay, wipe your feet off, try something else. And, you know, I don't think churches, one thing I've tried to do is is have experiments. Let's do experiments at church. If I do an experiment, I've already given myself permission that it's okay if this doesn't turn out great. We knew that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. But if I do the same thing for all eternity, I know that's going to fail eventually. I've got to try things. And some of them aren't going to work. And that's okay. Yeah, and Jews didn't want, they didn't want Jesus. No. Well, that was an experiment to them. I yeah. wasn't what they wanted. That's right. You know, that's God right. said, here he is. And they said, nah, it ain't him. He's not your son. No, we don't want this one. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> that's uh, pretty much where I am. I, I love the Lord. I've taught. Uh, another good thing that, that Marsha and I did, and I want to make sure we get that in there, is one time we were at Tulsa and we were doing this. Somebody done a lesson. I'm not sure who it was, but it, we left there with the understanding that Satan will burn you out in your church. Mm-hmm. He will put you doing this, 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 and you ain't got time for God. Mm-hmm. And we looked at each other and thought, hmm, look where we're at. Sounds familiar. Yeah, we're burned out. And he said, you know, his lesson was, Make your decision how you can honor God and glorify Him. Go back home and do it. Yeah. We went back home and started the youth group. Yeah. Well, we could do that. But we couldn't do it by, I used to I used to get the people for the Lord's Supper. I used to get the prayer. I used to get for the door assignments. I used to teach class. I used to drive the bus. I used to, that was just me. Marcia doing just as much. On the other hand, we just burn up. You know, didn't even have, and, and, and I've told my kids, I'm sorry, I am, but. We didn't have time for our own kids. Yeah. You know, they were just a part of the group. And it's it's easy for a youth guy to get that way if you don't watch it. You know, you got, if you got kids, you got to take care of them. Youth work is extra tough because there is the expectation. Everything you're doing, you're doing during family time. You're doing it at nights. You're going at ball games. You know, uh, the stage of life I'm in right now, I, I've told our elders, I said, you're not getting a lot of free. Don't ask me for a lot of meetings on weeknights. <laughs> I'll give you some. Yeah. I'm not going to give you a lot of those. Wait, well, you, know? you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know, you you take care of your family. You know. Love God, take care of your family. Call me when the kids have graduated. You can have me all the weeknights. You, I gave you a lot of weeknights before then. I'll give you a lot of weeknights after. But right now, I'm not saying no to all of them. Shucks, I think you and I have a meeting next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, right now. And, of course, somebody dies. I'm going to go. All right. You know, I'm not trying to, to not. It's not a mercy, but yeah. you're just talking. You can be, you can be pulled apart. Mm-hmm. And the Lord didn't tempt that. Part of good ministry is saying no to good things. Church is a love letter to us, and and we should we should enjoy a love letter. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing before I quit, I want I want to stress is how scared we are of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and, and that 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 befuddles me. We shouldn't be scared of over and over and over and over. God says, you know, I'm gonna leave you the Spirit. He's your helper. Your comforter, your helper, your advocate, your seal, your guarantee. Your guarantee yep. that I've built you a house in heaven that's waiting on you. He's your deposit. Yeah. Yeah. But when people can't, and, and, um, and I understand, I'm not a dummy, I understand, if people can't see it, they're afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a point blank. You can't see it, you're afraid of it. And even if people, the Lord has showed his presence to people, and they've come back telling about it, all of a sudden they're loony. You know, they're the old loony brother. They used to be pretty smart, now they're loony. Well, we have trouble even with Scripture, where you and I can look at the same words, and we might not agree with what they mean. The Holy Spirit, I can't even, we can't even look at them together. So, man, that's real scary. Yeah. You know. But. We're doing better, though. I it, think we're really doing better. We're getting there. Our problem is, and it's always been that problem. Gail Moses said this years ago. She said, the biggest problem is, Big Al, it says, our time works this way, and the Lord's time works this way. Yeah. I said, and she said, he sees things right now and 20 years away, and we see things right now and right now. That's it. <laughs> yeah. In this moment. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's but, but I wish people would embrace the spirit. You know, he's part of God too. He, there's him and Jesus and the spirit. And are all three, all three strong. He left the spirit. He says, to, I left you this power. We're scared to death telling anybody, hey, I've got the power. Yeah. <laughs> and there, man, you get that cockeyed look. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you see people going off there and talking about it. To me, I don't, I'm never worried about what people think or talk about me. You know, I love the Lord. I'm going to die loving the Lord, and I'm going to go to heaven. Now, in between there and then, if you need to talk to me, I'll talk with you. If you need to talk about me, then I can't stop you. <laughs> but but one thing I will do is I will pray, and I do mostly every day, every night, for a lot of things. I mean, my prayer list will go on for some hours. I'll pray myself, sleep, wake up in the middle of the night, go pray again, go back to sleep. Wake up in the morning praying, I love to talk to the Lord because he's my father. Yeah. You know, nobody else understands me like him. He built me. That's right. He made me. He's put things in my path my whole lifetime to be for me to be where I'm at. Yeah. And he's never failed me. Absolutely. Even even when I was mad at him, he didn't fail me. I was mad at him. He wasn't mad at me. That's right. And, and you know, and so it was, it's, it's, when you get to, get a hold of that relationship, you know, it, it's just a great thing. Man, that's cool. When you get a hold of that relationship, you know, I was asked to be an elder at Pickering. And I wanted to, <clears throat> I was reading in the Bible one time, and it talked about elders, and it says and if you're an elder, then you are after a good work. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I'm after a good work. I'm going to be an elder one of these days. Didn't know when or how or why. Yeah. But... They asked me, and uh, I never will forget the first meeting. I went to an eldership to a meeting with them, and they started talking about you do this and you do this and you're over this and this this. And there was a guy that was uh, he was a numbers guy. Yeah, and I guess he was probably the uh, treasurer guy. And uh, but anyway, they got off on something and talking about this and. Somebody was bringing in some statements somebody had said, and they'd heard this and this. And I said, wait a minute, guys. I said, "You, when you asked me to be an elder, you asked me to shepherd this flock. And I said, I agreed to do that. But I said, I'm, number one, I'm here to save the, save the lost. That's why I agreed to this. I'm not going to sit in these meetings. And I won't be a part of it, and I can leave tonight. No, no problem. Yeah. But I'm not going to be trying to save to save. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to be after the lost. And it's not about Sister Susie who's cranky and making her happy. You can spend every moment of the rest of your life trying to do that. Still going to be cranky. But it's about saving the lost. So I've asked some people about the story you told me today, uh, about what happened in that era when, you know, we kind of started saying bad stuff about Tulsa and and when they kept that record book on you. And I've asked some people what went wrong. And I'm not trying to run down anybody. Yeah. But I mean, it's just it's just obvious. White Bluff used to be a church of well, yeah. 800. It was, it was progressive. And now it's it's struggling. Yeah, too. Uh-huh. And the answer I've gotten from two or three people was fear got in us. We got afraid. And in our fear, we started being paranoid that somebody was going to believe wrong or teach wrong or do wrong. And if, if this happened, we might, and it was this fear stuff. And, and right where you started in your story, Al, you talked about how when you were baptized, you were scared and you were guilty. And oh, when you left that part, I left out of there. I'll get back to it, too. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. When I was in Florida, that little big guy, the little 80 yeah. old guy, he re baptized me. I was baptized because I wanted oh, yeah. to be, not yeah. because I was scared into it or afraid, mm-hmm. because I wanted. I want to follow Jesus. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And uh, that little guy, like, it's funny, him Rose, I asked him one time, the church was there and there's a house behind it, and Frank Rose lived, lived in that house, and they built that house. And when they died, the house went to the church. And so I asked Frank one time, I said, Frank, where'd you go? Where'd you come from? Where'd you preach at this, that, and other? He said, I wasn't a preacher. I said, what do you mean you know I wasn't a preacher? He said, no, nah, I'm a member of the Elks Club. <laughs> Rose said, yeah, we went to the Elks Club every Saturday night. Well, but he said, I found the Lord. He said, here I am now. I love that, that couple. That's so cool. And they just, uh, honest as they could be, mm-hmm. they got real old. We'd go back down and visit. we move back home. We'd go visit them some. And they'd talk about the angels in the house with them. How, how cool. That was cool. You know. Again, stuff that people look at you sideways. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't talk about the unseen realm, angels and demons and spirit. We're scared to. And, and, and I've always... I always pondered why. I always pondered why the Lord wouldn't have something for people to see, but if it, if they seen it, it would be fake. Mm-hmm. You know, faith faith is me seeing the unseen. That's right. It's not seeing something that's going to make me do it or that's want right. me to do it or chase after. So it's you know it's just amazing the wisdom he uses in things and the wisdom we try to make out of it. <laughs> yeah. We try to do the exact opposite of what he's told us. Yeah, yeah. Paul doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> Never has. No, you're right. Yeah. Paul just don't make any sense, but God did. So it's a God chose him. God used him. He used it, and and so let the Spirit ask the Spirit to lead you, and He will. It, it tells you in there, you know, you got to you got to want to want the spirit to lead you. Mm-hmm. You can't sit back and wait for it to come on you. Teenagers, their biggest question was always, "How close can I get to sin without sin?" Can I go with my girl? Yeah. You know, How close can I get to sin and not sin? Yeah. That was their answer. You know what? Grown up, same way. Yeah. <laughs> same way. Yeah. Yeah. But when your question becomes, "How close to Jesus can I get?" That other question changes. Mm-hmm. You know, can I tell you one of my preacher pet peeves? Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit is the work that the Spirit produces in His people. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Mm-hmm. But every year, I go to churches and I'll hear these summer series where the fruit of the Spirit is, here's those things you need to work on. You need to be loving. You need to be joyful. You need to be peaceful. You need to be patient. Here's your list. 
We're less people. What Galatians says is the spirit produces life in you. Just try to keep up with him. You know, don't resist him. Don't kick him. Don't, don't, don't weed his, his garden. Um, I'll use some names real quick. I don't know how much time I got, but those is dynamic. And you may know him. Do you know Tony Woodall? You ever hear him? I think I know that name. I'm not sure. He was a youth minister at Madison Church. Madison Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baptized 100 kids one summer. He spoke in Tulsa. We got to, he came, I brought him to White Bluffs, beating. This got a pretty good relationship in him, and he, he was dynamic. I mean, he just had a way about kids flocking to him. And uh, <clears throat> he had some good friends who were missionaries and went to Africa. And I don't know how much you know about Africa, but in Africa, and a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of, in Africa, when you lay down and go to sleep at night, you're dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. there are several stages of death. That's the belief that when you're asleep, you were dead. Yeah. And that was, that was their belief. And so these missionaries told, told Tony and came back and they told Tony, said, we've seen some marvelous things over her. And uh, they got into it and they said, we've seen the dead come back alive. And, and Tony just thought that was a marvelous thing started teaching his kids. You know what? Last time I seen Tony Well, selling washing machines at Sears. Mm. That's how you, he was seeing the unseen, but he didn't see it the way they won't even see it. Mm. So they just, yeah, well, you can't do that. And devil said, ha, 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 ha. And we ruined something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Did God really say? No, it's there all the time, every day. Did he really say you surely did? Man. Yeah, it's, it's there every day. Wow, this has been fun. It is. I'm probably jabbered too much. No, this has been great. Thank you for sharing. You have given us lessons on grief, parenting, baseball, shepherding. <laughs> um, uh, at some point, I feel like I missed a lesson in construction, but you know. Oh, uh, yeah, I do, Bill, but. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? I don't want to cut you off. I just want, if if I had a prayer for all my brothers and sisters, is to open your eyes to the Spirit. Mm. And I don't mean open your eyes. I mean seek it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's like seeking God and seeking Jesus. Seek the Spirit. Yes. Now, will he will he miraculously do something for you? I don't know. Yeah, that's his call, not mine. Yeah, it's not for me to say. A lot of people talk to me and say, well, well, what do you think about this? Because he said that and he thinks this. And I said, that's fine. Yeah. That's what he thinks and that's what he... I'm not the referee. Yeah, well, he, you know, he, as you said a while ago, he read a scripture in the book. This is what it means to him. Yeah. I'm not going to judge him on that. This is what it means to me. And I'm not going to argue about it. Yeah, if we're good friends, we can discuss it. But yeah. beyond that, I'm not I'm not here to debate you. No. I don't, I've got better things to do in my life than argue with you. Biggest tool Satan has took away from us is God's word. Mm-hmm. And he turned it into a law book. And, mm-hmm. you know, people defend their case. Yes. Defend, this is why I think this. Yeah. It's not about... He didn't write it for, to defend anything. No. He said, this is life and life ever after. Mm-hmm. And it's yours. No, it means you take it. And the, the stuff that matters is clear. Yeah. You know, what does he want from us? Well, love God, love neighbor. What does he want from us? Uh, love justice, walk humbly before you're got right, mercy. And there's all kind of stuff that we, when you study his word, there's all kind of stuff you'll do. Yeah. 
You won't argue about it. It's just Poet Black. There's a lot of Poet Black statements in there. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole lot of stuff. He just said, I'm going to leave that for you. Yeah. And I don't need to spend my time in all of these debates about what happens if you do this this way instead of this. Not my job. That's pretty much what Paul did with Corinthians. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he, he, number one, didn't want them to praise him. Yeah. Didn't put him on the pedestal, him or Timothy or any of them. He wanted them to know that he messed up. I mess up. Here's all the things I've done. Yeah. I mess up. I've been scared. I thought the Lord taking us. Yeah, you know, this is me. This is me talking. Yeah. You know, but it's, it wasn't it wasn't his will. You know, it's a bad rap sometimes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we don't know what to do with him. Yeah. Well, man, thanks for the encouragement, friends. Open your eyes to the Spirit of God. <laughs> That's the best advice you're going to get all week. Well, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. Thanks for for sharing this. Um, I, I hate to ask you stuff like this because it feels weird and self-serving. Thanks for leaving us a review so other people will listen to it. I don't care about this. I don't get paid for this. I, I, I have probably things I should do at this time instead. But the whole reason for this is uh, you hear way too much from me. You hear me preach on Sunday and teach on Wednesday and read stuff I write. You don't need to hear more of me. You need to hear more of the men and women, old and young, black and white in this church, in how they have walked with God, how they have lived. Because when you hear those stories, you're going to know it's the real deal. That's the point of this show. So I ask you to share it with a friend, leave a rating. Not because I get paid for it. (laughs) No, uh, because I want to help somebody. And if there's somebody who hears this podcast and opens their eyes to the Spirit of God when they're 20 instead of when they're 60, we have just changed a life. So anyway, that's what it's all about. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I can't wait to hear what God is up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.